Welcome to the PRI Review, brought to you by the Population Research Institute. I'm your host, Christopher Mannion. Lots to cover today, folks. First of all, the latest in Steve Moser's investigations into the Wuhan virus. The facts are coming in, and it doesn't look good for Communist China and its denials or its bio labs. Next, Steve and I break out the popcorn with social distancing, of course. <laughs> Even though it's several hundred miles to look at Michael Moore's new documentary that pulls back the curtain on sustainable green energy. In brief, it isn't sustainable, it isn't green, and it depends on good old coal, oil, and nuclear just to get off the ground. But Moore isn't satisfied with shooting down environmentalism's favorite cows, where they lie alongside the burnt-out wind turbines, the broken-down solar arrays, and the clear-cut forests, whose trees have been burned as biomass. No more goes for the jugular, as all the enviros are forced to do sooner or later. After all, if truly clean energy is nearly impossible, that means that the dirty energy we do have must be reduced. Well, how? Who uses all that energy? People, that's who, and with fewer people, we'll need less energy, and that means that Mother Earth, maybe even Pachamama, can breathe more easily. Stay tuned, there's more. In our news roundup, we'll be talking about New York politicians and their role in the Wuhan virus crisis at home and in New York. Trump tells the U.N. that abortion isn't health care. And the U.N. fires a highly paid American pro-abortion advocate who lies about her resume like she lies about everything else. Then we'll see that religious bigotry is alive and well in the Big Apple. We'll watch Chuck Schumer play the role of FDR and hear from Pope Benedict and Cardinal Seurat to wrap things up. So let's get started. I've studied China for decades, says Stephen Mosher, president of the Population Research Institute. And here's how I know the virus was engineered in a Wuhan lab. Dr. Xi Zhenli, known as China's Batwoman, was in the business of creating new and deadly coronaviruses. Some of her work she published in scholarly journals, such as her 2008 article in the Journal of Virology. There she described how she and her team were taking harmless coronaviruses from horseshoe bats and then genetically engineering them to be able to infect human beings just like the original SARS virus does. But some of her research in her lab at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, she kept secret. By 2013, she had isolated the bat coronavirus, now known as RATG-13, and was using it for gain-of-function research. The results of this research were not published although communist leaders were undoubtedly briefed on it. We may never know how many times or how many ways she tried to enhance it to make it even more infectious and deadly than it was in its natural state. But at the end of the day, she managed to create in her lab a dangerously infectious pathogen. Using her secret bat coronavirus as the backbone, she had inserted a receptor-binding domain, RBD, 
from another coronavirus to make it more infectious. It was another Chinese virologist, Dr. Yanzhen Zhang, who first pointed out that this RBD was an exact genetic match with the RBD from another known pangolin, that is, anteater, virus. The Chinese government has since imposed strict controls on what can be published, by the way. The scientific name of the resulting chimera coronavirus is SARS-CoV-2, but it is known to the world correctly as the China virus. The worst fear of many scientists that gain-of-function research would create a pathogen of pandemic potential, or PPP, had been realized. But because Dr. Xi had kept her reckless lab experiments secret, the world had no idea that such a dangerous man-made virus even existed. A virus as infectious as SARS-CoV-2 would have required the strict adherence to the rigorous safety protocols of a BSL-4 high-containment lab to stay contained. But Solax was the training and the practices of the WIV in Wuhan that even the World Health Organization refused to grant its certification. The lab was an accident waiting to happen. Sometime in the fall of 2019, it did. A lab worker became infected either from handling an infected animal or from handling the coronavirus isolate directly. From there, the China virus spread like wildfire through the densely populated city of Wuhan. By late December 2019, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was growing desperate to cover up its complicity. They had never divulged the genome of the original 2013 bat coronavirus to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, NCBI, of the U.S. National Institutes of Health, the customary repository for such information. What if it were traced back to their lab? What were they to do? They finally decided they had no choice but to register their virus with the NCBI under the name of RATG13, but to add a few intentional miscodings. Mistaken codings. That way they could plausibly deny that their virus was the backbone of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the Wuhan virus. The registration took place on January 27, 2020, seven years after they had first isolated it. By then, the epidemic in China had spread to the rest of the world. By now, the original samples of RATG-13, along with the original research records, have been destroyed. Dr. Zhi Zheng Li has assured the world that she has carefully checked all of the genomic sequences in her lab, and not a single one of them matched the new SARS-CoV-2. She insists that her lab had nothing to do with the origins of the coronavirus pandemic. The truth is that the Wuhan Institute of Virology had everything to do with it. So did the Chinese Communist Party, which was undoubtedly directing and funding Dr. Xi's research the entire time and is now desperate to cover up its culpability from an angry world. This is PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. We'll be right back.
Here's some bad news. The abortion lobby is telling the federal government to use cell lines from aborted babies and Wuhan virus vaccine research. They're using fear as a cover to push their pro-abortion agenda, as usual. This time, it's the Wuhan virus. Remember how Democrat governors designated abortion mills as essential and Holy Mass was unessential and prohibited? Well, now there's more. The White House says we're making progress in research for a vaccine, and the pro-abortion left can't resist. Wow, let's use this crisis to push abortion. That's right. The death lobby is trying to piggyback onto this crisis with its all-too-familiar agenda. Preventing coronaviruses is hard. Over the years, it's been hard to develop effective vaccines at all. That's why today the pro-aborts want the government to use cells from aborted babies. Planned Parenthood has been accused of selling baby body parts for medical research already. Everybody knows that. After all, aborted babies are a goldmine for Planned Parenthood. These precious organs, down to the cells themselves, can bring a high price on the market. But PRI knows the truth. Babies are killed to get those cells, and we are demanding that the U.S. government stop using them. Not for vaccines, not for treatments, not at all. Abortion has already been pandemic in this country for years. Let's not try to use one pandemic to solve another one. Look, let's face it. American taxpayers shouldn't be forced to pay for research involving those cells at all. Now, here's the bad news. Unfortunately, many prospective Wuhan virus vaccine candidates use cell lines that came from babies who were aborted in the 1960s and 70s. Let's be clear. Using cell lines harvested from aborted babies is a definition of unethical. It shocks the moral conscience. It encourages pharmaceutical companies to continue developing new drugs, vaccines, and therapeutics, with cell lines derived from abortion. Unfortunately, some of that very research is being funded by the U.S. government, including through grants awarded by the National Institutes of Health, the NIH. Now, before it's too late, it's time to say no. No to any research that uses cells taken from aborted babies. PRI is leading the way. We need you to join us. You can really make a difference. But how... Can we get a vaccine then? Fortunately, there are many promising alternatives. Some have been used for decades in the development of vaccines, and they have a proven track record of success. And that's not all. There are newer technologies that may have great potential. Many potential vaccines using ethical alternatives are already showing encouraging results, and some are already slated to begin clinical testing. Now's the time to act. And here's how. Write the White House right now, today, to make your voice heard. Just go to our website at pop.org. That's P-O-P dot org. O-R-G. You'll see the banner. Sign the petition. Click there and sign up now. It takes less than a minute. And ask President Trump, Mr. President, please tell federal agencies to stop funding research projects that use cells if they are derived from aborted babies. That's it. It's that easy. Once again, go to pop.org. 
on top of the homepage, click where it says sign the petition. In the comment box, be sure to mention the virus vaccine specifically. Decisions on that research are being made right now, so don't delay. Go to pop.org and make your voice heard today. Why eco-leftists are suddenly turning on Michael Moore. PRI President Steve Mosier reports on an environmentalist bombshell. I pay as little attention to Michael Moore as humanly possible, but when his latest documentary opened on Earth Day to attacks from fellow leftists, including calls for censorship, it got my attention. After all, one of my favorite scenes in Lord of the Rings is watching the orcs fight among themselves. So I grabbed a bowl of popcorn and sat down to watch Planet of the Humans. Director Moore's latest documentary starts with electric cars, the vehicle of choice for the environmentally conscious. As General Motors proudly unveils its battery-powered Volt, his narrator innocently asks the executive in charge where the electricity to recharge it comes from. Power plants, comes the answer, coal-burning power plants. Memo from Moore to those who think they are driving green. You may indulge your illusions if you prefer, but all you're really doing is transferring your emissions from the tailpipe of your car to the smokestack of the local power plant. Maybe you think solar power is the answer. Well, Moore treats you to a visit to a showy solar array that covers an entire football field. The power company executive present admits that it can only power ten homes, and then only when the sun shines. Moore's documentary has led to calls for censorship from the eco-warriors on the left. Right now, you can only see it on YouTube. Powering the nearby city of Lansing, Michigan, he says with a grin, would require 15 square miles of panels. You want to talk about footprints? We follow a local environmentalist as he hikes up a mountain where a site has been clear-cut for 21 mega-wind turbines. He and his companions deplore the destruction of the natural beauty of the landscape and the scattering of the wildlife it once supported. The engineer in charge ticks off the hundreds of tons of concrete, steel, aluminum, carbon, rare materials, and other products that go into the construction of each and every mega-wind turbine. Industry requires huge inputs of energy to produce such things, a total energy deficit that the spinning blades of the wind turbine will not begin to pay back over its projected lifetime. Moore ends the segment with a shot of broken and rusted wind turbines littering the landscape. We visit plants that generate electricity by burning so-called biomass rather than fossil fuel. But as we see one diesel-powered machine after another, felling, hauling, and chipping logs for burning, the absurdity of the entire enterprise comes into focus. In the final scene, we see a clear-cut forest and learn that we would need to burn every tree in America to power the country for just one year. Now, by the midpoint of the movie, Moore is already 
reveal that each and every form of green energy is a fraud, surviving on popular naivete, government subsidies, and the products of industrial civilization. Moore argues that many green energy solutions rely heavily on coal-burning power plants to function. If he were to have stopped there, his sins against his fellow eco-leftists might one day be forgiven. But he doesn't. Instead, he goes on to argue that the fraud extends to the very top of the green energy movement itself. He begins his takedown by taking us to a green concert, where the organizer has just announced to cheers from the crowd that it is powered by solar energy. Going backstage, however, we learn that the tiny solar array is only for show. The actual power for the lights, amplifiers, and electric guitars comes from a portable diesel generator. Then Moore moves on to the big boys. He exposes the massive funding that the Sierra Club, 350, and other environmental groups receive from the energy industry and exposes the connections between the leading environmentalists like Al Gore and Wall Street financiers. Moore's sometime friends on the eco-left movement are not amused, and apparently have already convinced the distributor of this film to take it down. For now, you can still watch Moore's epic takedown of green energy on YouTube, but you'd better move fast. There's a campaign underway to remove it from that service as well. If you do tune in, bear in mind that Moore is no friend of free markets or of individual liberty. His solution to reducing humanity's use of energy is a throwback to 20th century population control. I don't know about you, but anytime anyone tells me we need to reduce the world's population, my answer is always the same. You first. But you can fast forward through that part. Otherwise, it's a joy to watch Moore skewer one renewable energy fantasy after another. After all, as a movement insider, he knows where the carbon is buried. Thus far, Steve Moser. Let me add, as your host, that Moore's documentary is very well produced. There's no doubt about that. It's so devastating to the wacko movement that the population control crew comes off as a random afterthought. Maybe that's because we at PRI are used to hearing it all the time. But however dull and unappealing, I'm sure Moore meant that theme to be the denouement, and he might be hoping that it might well find some traction in the frenzied fear climate that's going strong right now. The message? Fossil fuels bad. Green fuels worse. Both verdicts irreversible. Ah, but population. Bad indeed, but this we can solve, starting by eliminating the usual suspects, of course. Seven million viewers, 250,000 have watched it in the last two days, so it's catching on. And let me quote from Moore's comments below the video as well. Here he emphasizes the themes he is trying to project. Michael Moore presents Planet of the Humans, a documentary that dares to say what no one else will this Earth Day, that we are losing the battle to stop climate change on planet Earth because we are following leaders who have taken us down the wrong road, selling out the green movement to wealthy interests and corporate America. Okay, now that's message number one. And next, 
Here's more again. This film is the wake-up call to the reality we are afraid to face, that in the midst of a human-caused extinction event, the environmental movement's answer is to push for techno-fixes and band-aids. It's too little, too late. Removed from the debate, he continues, is the only thing that might save us. Getting a grip on our out-of-control human presence and consumption. Why is this not the issue? Because that would be bad for profits, bad for business. Have we environmentalists fallen for illusions, green illusions, that are anything but green because we're scared that this is the end and we've pinned all our hopes on biomass, wind turbines, and electric cars? No amount of batteries are going to save us, warns director Jeff Gibbs, a lifelong environmentalist. This urgent must-see movie, a full frontal assault on our sacred cows, is guaranteed to generate anger, debate, and hopefully a willingness to see our survival in a new way before it's too late. Well, that's more for you. But remember that new way, of course, means no way to billions of human beings that the environmentalists consider as excess baggage that is weighing down Mother Earth, weighing her down to destruction. Let's not kid ourselves. You think environmentalists hate oil, gas, and coal? Well, Moore spells it out right here. They save their most intense hatred for people, especially those who are most expendable. Never forget, the goal of the environmental movement has always been to get rid of the wrong kind of people. And remember, the environmentalists are always the right kind of people. That's what motivates the left's worldwide efforts to eradicate unborn babies. And what motivates us at the Population Research Institute that passionate desire to save every one of those lives and contribute to a world of flourishing and freedom. You're listening to the PRI Review from POP.org. We'll be right back. Here's an urgent warning from PRI President Steve Mosier. Abortionists are moving fast to take advantage of the Chinese coronavirus. These con artists are singing the praises of so-called research that uses cells from aborted babies. What's the deal? They're telling us that using those cells offers the one sure path to a vaccine for the coronavirus. They tell us that using aborted baby cells on a mass scale will be the fastest way to produce that vaccine. That's a lie, and it makes their crimes even worse. There are other methods of creating a coronavirus vaccine. They're faster, and they don't involve the use of aborted baby cells, just like lots of other effective vaccines. That fact doesn't stop the abortion industry. Every day it's pushing the lie that using aborted babies is the way to produce a coronavirus vaccine. Frankly, it's really sickening. This is just a new excuse for abortionists to desecrate the bodies of aborted babies. They just call it research. Disgusting? Yes, indeed. They're at it again using this tired old lie as an excuse for their abortion crimes. But listen, the threat is real. Without fast action from you, 
me and every other pro-lifer they could get away with this outrage. Many states and cities have forced the closing of churches and schools, bankrupting family-run shops, crippling small businesses, and even forbidding people from going to the dentist, all to protect us from the China coronavirus. But that doesn't stop the abortionists and the liberal media. They claim that abortion is an essential service that cannot be interrupted. Are we going to let them get away with it? Look, it is a blessing that so many church and lay leaders are speaking out against this desecration of aborted babies, and we want you to join them. We need to put pressure right now on the decision makers. They can stop the use of aborted babies for coronavirus so-called research. That's the critical action that we pro-lifers have to take today. Yes, we know. President Trump and Vice President Pence are solidly pro-life, but they are also politicians. Pro-life voters have to support them and constantly remind them, here's what we expect you to do. Tell the president, we pro-life voters are ready for battle over this issue. We demand an end to the desecration of aborted babies now. We've got your back. Let's flood their offices with our petitions to stop research using aborted babies. Our pro-life president is under constant attack from the pro-abortion left again and again and again. He needs to hear from us again and again and again. And here's a perfect opportunity to let him know you appreciate his defense of life. Ask him today to keep up that fight. Mr. President, tell those federal agencies to stop funding research projects that use cells from aborted babies. Do it today. Write the White House now to make your voice heard. Just go to our website at pop.org. That's P-O-P dot O-R-G. Sign our petition. It takes less than a minute and ask the president, Mr. President, please tell federal agencies to stop funding research projects that use cells if they're derived from aborted babies. It's that easy. Go to pop.org. On the top of the home page, where it says sign the petition, in the comment box, be sure to mention the virus vaccine specifically. Decisions on that specific research are being made right now, so don't delay. Go to pop.org and make your voice heard today. You'll be glad you did. And now for the news roundup. Trump tells off the United Nations and the U.N. fires a lying pro-abort. Religious bigotry in New York, along with more trouble in the Big Apple. The Empire State sends its trouble to D.C. too with Chuck Schumer playing the role of FDR. New York doesn't want Christian volunteers, thank you. Pope Benedict explains why. Netflix disagrees. And California isn't the Golden State anymore. CFAM reports that the United Nations quietly let go a top human rights official and abortion activist rather than hold her accountable for having fabricated her credentials to justify her top-level position and high salary. Kate Gilmore was expected to serve another term in her post as U.N. Deputy High Commissioner for Human Rights, which she held from 2015 to 2019. But she left to chair the Board of Trustees at the International Planned 
Parenthood Federation, the world's largest network of abortion providers. Well, now there's a real public servant for you. Well, Kate the Skate didn't waste any time in her new role at IPPF. She immediately condemned a letter from acting USAID Administrator John Barca to UN Secretary General Guterres, in which he said, this is Barca saying, sexual and reproductive health is not humanitarian relief and should not be included in the UN's emergency funding for COVID-19. Gilmore argued that denying access to abortion contravenes humanitarian principles, quote, though the claim lacks legal basis or international consensus or moral basis for that matter, but that word is not permitted at the United Nations. Next up, New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson is homosexual. Okay, well, his city's response to the Wuhan virus has been a disaster. So in April, a Christian group volunteered to help afflicted New Yorkers and set up a field hospital in Central Park. Good news? Well, one would think so, but Mr. Johnson has other priorities. You see, Christian charity offends the LGBT community. It's time for Samaritan's Purse to leave NYC, he announced on May 1st. This group, led by the notoriously bigoted hate-spewing, Franklin Graham came at a time when our city couldn't in good conscience turn away any offer of help. That time has passed. End quote. LGBT conscience. Okay. Well, three days later, Samaritan's Purse announced that it was shutting down its hospital. Sodomy over sanity? Sure. Anti-Christian bigotry? Absolutely. Well, we pray that our leaders will soon get around to condemning the bigoted hate-spewing Mr. Johnson. And for the record, according to its mission statement, Samaritan's Purse is a non-denominational evangelical Christian organization providing spiritual and physical aid to hurting people around the world. Since 1970, Samaritan's Purse has helped meet needs of people who are victims of war, poverty, natural disasters, disease, and famine with the purpose of sharing God's love through His Son, Jesus Christ. The organization serves the church worldwide to promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, more from New York. The New York Times admits that the Wuhan virus spread from New York through a large part of the country. New York City served as the epicenter of spreading the Wuhan virus largely because of the mistakes made by Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio. Their disastrous management of the crisis in New York has wrought havoc and misery throughout the country. Even the Times admits it. Well, here's more. The New York Times former D.C. editor Martin Tolchin wasn't happy when a Times editorial called for an investigation of Biden's alleged Sexual assault on Tara Reid when she was a member of Biden's Senate staff in the 1990s. Of course, the Times editors wanted a safe investigation, if you want to call it that, with the desired outcome. So they recommended that the Democrat National Committee conduct such an investigation. Right. Well, Tolchin called their bluff 
I totally disagree with this editorial. He said, I don't want an investigation. I want a coronation of Joe Biden. Would he make a great president? Unlikely. Would he make a good president? Good enough. Would he make a better president than the present occupant? Absolutely. I don't want justice, whatever that may be. I want a win. The removal of Donald Trump from office. And Mr. Biden is our best chance. Well, it seems like that's what the Times wants as well. After Tolchin's outburst, the Times published an article by feminist Linda Hirschman. I believe Tara Reid. I'm voting for Joe Biden anyway. End quote. That's right. She believes everything Tara Reid says, that Biden aggressively assaulted her and abused her. But hey, so what? You know what? Donald Trump has pulled back the curtain on the cesspool of hypocrisy and arrogance at the Times. They've left their professional cred far behind, and they're just a full-blown left-wing billionaire blog like the Washington Post. And they're out to beat Donald Trump and put us deplorables in our place, period. Well, here's more from New York. We don't want to depress you, but this is the news. Bring back bigger government. Remember President Franklin Roosevelt? He's famous for the New Deal, but that isn't all. In 1933, he seized all the gold, devalued the dollar by 40% overnight, threatened to pack the Supreme Court, and lied through his teeth in the 1940 presidential campaign about his plan to get the United States into World War II on the side of England. All this he excused because we were in a time of crisis, of course. Sound familiar? Well, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer is a Democrat from New York. Guess what? Now he and Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, have unveiled a coronavirus relief package that he describes as Rooseveltian in its scope and size. We need big, bold action, Schumer said in an NBC interview with Stephanie Rule, adding that he and Pelosi are working very closely together on putting together a very strong plan. We need a Franklin Rooseveltian-type action, and we hope to take that in the House and the Senate in a very big, bold way. Well, it certainly is bold, folks. Why, it even has affirmative action for transsexuals in the marijuana industry. And I'm not kidding. Of course, it'll never pass. But the Schum and Nancy can now go back to their core constituencies on the left. All of them, even pot-smoking trannies, and tell them how hard they've worked to advance their issues. That's how it works, folks. Never let a crisis go to waste. Another Democrat and presidential advisor once said, and these folks advocating a new version of the New Deal are going to use the fear caused by the Wuhan virus to install Bernie Sanders-style socialism, and the American people have never voted for that, and they never will. One thing sure, If they ever do succeed, it will be impossible to go back when sanity returns. It'll be too late. We've got to stop it now. And here's a quick footnote to set the record straight. In a recent published interview, Pope Benedict XVI described exactly what was infecting New York's political hierarchy. And I'm quoting here. Modern society is in the middle of formulating an anti-Christian creed And if one opposes it, one is being punished by society with excommunication. The fear of the spiritual power of the Antichrist is then only more than natural, 
and it really needs the help of prayers on the part of an entire diocese and the universal church in order to resist it, he said. The real threat to the church is the global dictatorship of purportedly humanist ideologies, he emphasized. On the current state of the Catholic Church, Pope Benedict reflected, events have shown by now that the crisis of faith has above all led to a crisis of Christian existence. Well, that threat is very real, and Satan never sleeps. Now that Obama has joined Netflix, the network has gone full bore, saturated with sex. Even the media is shocked by the debauched sex and drug shows that are cocaine-fueled, orgy-filled. But wait, one Catholic is cheering them on. A lesbian who writes for a site that still calls itself Catholic is simply gushing over a recent Netflix show. On Saturday, she says, I watched the new Netflix documentary, A Secret Love. It tells the story of Terry and Pat, a lesbian couple who lived together 62 years before they felt safe enough to tell their families that they were more than just best friends. Then on Sunday morning, she continues, I read a letter from Cincinnati Archbishop Dennis Schnoor explaining why he decided not to renew the annual contract of a long-time and highly-valued teacher at Archbishop Alter High School. Though he doesn't say it explicitly in his letter, Schnoor effectively fired the teacher because he is in a same-sex marriage. Now, this is interesting. She is so disgusted that she actually cites the Archbishop's views quite clearly. He writes, Behaviors that are not regrettable mistakes, but are rather confirmed life choices contrary to Catholic teaching, cannot be offered to young people as a witness to the faith, no matter the many other outstanding attributes a person may possess. Now there's an archbishop speaking like a true shepherd. Look, it's pretty clear our lesbian writer is upset about Catholic doctrine. That's her problem. She complains that the church bars LGBTQ people from receiving the sacrament of marriage because, I'm quoting here, it teaches that our love is fundamentally invalid and incapable of the goodness and holiness of a heterosexual union. She continues, our relationship are so defective that God cannot possibly be present in them, end quote. Well, I'll be darned, she got it right. Sure, she's confused, which should not surprise us. After all, her problem is not with the archbishop. It's with God the Father who told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. The archbishop is right. Lesbian relationships are fruitless because they're unnatural. They were against the law long before the Catholic Church was around, even before the Ten Commandments. Nature is nature, and all the perverted lust that Satan can tempt us to can't change it. Netflix might celebrate sin. Well, what else is new? But the lesbian is right in her rant. They are so defective that God cannot possibly be present in them. Well, let's move right along to politics. Government Accountability Institute Research Director Eric Eggers, author of Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election, says that it's fair to assume that many illegal aliens will receive mail-in ballots in California for the 2020 election, thanks to a plan by Governor Gavin Newsom. 
You know, so far, California's Catholic bishops haven't told the illegals that voting illegal would be a sin as well as a crime. How about thou shalt not steal or bear false witness? No, there's nothing in their faithful citizenship document about that. Quite the contrary. California's bishops unanimously support illegal immigration. They even support the state's get-out-of-jail-free zones. They're known as sanctuary cities, and that, that's unanimous among all Catholic bishops in California. So, my California friends, if you get mugged, robbed, or shot by an illegal alien, your bishops will help him hide from the police. Don't ask me why. Maybe you should ask them. Abortions are essential in Governor Newsom's California, but mass isn't. All over California, down is up. And that syndrome seems to infect the life of the church there as well. Well, let's give Cardinal Robert Seurat the last word. In his remarkable book, The Day is Now Far Spent, Cardinal Seurat speaks emphatically in several different passages of the risks and ills of mass immigration. Everything must be done so that people can remain in the countries that saw their birth, he writes. Every day, hundreds of Africans die in the waters of the Mediterranean. Very soon, we know, there will be in Europe a singularly dangerous imbalance in the demographic, cultural, and religious levels. Globalized humanity, without borders, is a hell. The standardization of ways of life is the cancer of the postmodern world. Men become unwitting members of a great planetary herd that does not think, does not protest, and allows itself to be guided towards a future that does not belong to it. Men do not resemble one another. Nature, too, is multifariously rich, because he ordained it so. Our Father thought that his children could be enriched by their differences. Today, globalization is contrary to the divine plan. It tends to make humanity uniform. Globalization means cutting man off from his roots, from his religion, from his culture, history, customs, and ancestors. He becomes stateless, without a country, without a land. He is at home everywhere and nowhere. I can understand the idea of some cooperation of peoples. I can understand a certain opening of boundaries so as to improve economic exchange. But the libertarian, liberal ideology is nonsense. Europe is dying of this selfish delirium, the Cardinal says. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Don't forget to sign our petition for safe and moral vaccines at the top of our webpage. And thanks for the support of all our pro-life efforts. You've been listening to the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.